Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm Hannah, and today I'm joined by Saba Sheffi from the Advocacy Academy to talk about giving young people a voice in our political system, the role civil society should play right now, and why she set up a campaign to challenge racial prejudice in the charity sector. Big questions. Hi, Saba. How are you? Hi. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I am just about awake, which is always yeah, a good sign. It's uh, very early, well, for me anyway, on a Monday morning. And I've come down to the Advocacy Academy campus in Brixton. Um, I wish I had sort of, wish this was a vlog rather than a podcast <laughs> so I could show you how brilliant it is. But it's, yeah, it's a really inspiring, comfortable space. There's lots of activism going on around here. And it's clearly has developed and changed a lot since I first heard about the work that uh, you're engaged in. Could you start off maybe by telling me and the listeners, a little bit about the Advocacy Academy, how you started and why you're doing what you do. Sure. Where to start? So the Advocacy Academy, we are a youth movement and we're working to unleash the power of young people to create a more fair, just and equal society. Um, at the heart of what we do um, is a desire to create the next generation of social change activists. Um, we want young people with lived experience of injustice to be leading the fight in tackling some of the biggest problems that we have um, today from gender violence on our streets to um, serious uh, youth violence to the housing crisis. Um, and for us, you know, this really started at, you know, with a hard look at our political education um, in the in the UK today. And quite frankly, the, the absence of it. Um, increasingly, we're seeing that young people are being depoliticized um, and that politics is being um, funneled towards very narrow, um, very narrow visions of what engagement in politics looks like. Uh, there is a huge and, and, and potentially vibrant uh, civic democracy that has existed in this country. It's, you know, it's been in the form of, of unions, of community organizing, as being um, one of the, you know, it's counter to, I think, what um, some people might remember. Um, a lot of social change, a lot of um, civil rights work started on the streets. They didn't, it didn't start in parliament. And if we um, carve out the core of what it means to create that civic democracy, we will fail to see the change that we want to see in the future. And for us, that starts with young people. And so we found it, we were founded in 2014 
since that time, we have been leading a pretty intense social justice leadership fellowship. We've taken 20 or so 16 to 18 year olds from South London, um, from the boroughs who, which ranked some of the highest on the deprivation index, that rank highest on the amount, on the percentages of youth violence, um, even though they're within spitting distance of Westminster. And we take young people from these areas and we say, what are you angry about? And we take them through almost 400 hours of um, education, workshops, uh, seminars, uh, on the ground, direct action work, uh, community organizing, uh, training um, that's been handed down from, you know, from where it began in, with Alinsky in the States. Mm. And we take them through over the six month course and they emerge. And you know, one of the things I love to say is that our, our young people, they do not emerge cute. They're not <laughs> running around, um, lead, like you know, hosting bake sales and not running around getting people to sign petitions. They're not like holding a placard at a march, um, and all those things are important. But our young people are going to be leading the fight for the next generations to come. And so, some examples of kind of badass stuff that they've done is. So let's see. We had a group of young people: uh, Darren, Ilhan, Costa, JP. They uh, grew up in Brixton. You know, these people from Moorlands Estate, from Loughborough Estate, Angeltown Estate, some of the most like uh, hard done by uh, areas in our in our city today. And they were like, well, I can't afford to live in the place where I grew up. Uh, they wanted to tackle affordable housing, and they launched this three four year long campaign uh, to build a community land trust in South London. And last, end of last year, um, they were able to secure uh, a 5.1 million pound piece of land from Transport for London to build 25 permanently and genuinely affordable housing uh, for people in their community. And they're now working through working with Citizens UK, working with um, CLT UK um, to uh, to get planning permission. The oldest in that group is 22, I think, um, and they're building homes for their community. Uh, behind me, we've got some posters um, of Legally Black, which is a campaign that was run, I think it was two years ago now that some people might have heard about. We've got uh, a poster of Skins, uh, Titanic, and Harry Potter, uh, but they look a little bit different because uh, unlike the original posters, this our posters have an all-black cast. And Liv, Shaden, Kofi, and Belle launched, the, uh, launched this campaign to tackle the misrepresentation and underrepresentation of black British people in the media today. The campaign went viral. Um, a, a brand list group uh, picked up the posters and put them all on the bus stops all the way across Brixton. Um, our young people were speaking about the issue on the BBC, on, on Channel 4, on like major news outlets across Europe. Uh, there was this amazing call to action, uh, which has now led to uh, these same young people are now working on this amazing TV show. Um, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a bit it's new, um, which I think it's called Switch. Um, and I've, I haven't been able to be in the room, Sky, so it's a little bit like <laughs> need to know at the moment. <laughs> but it is, and there is. You heard it here first. I know. <laughs> um, and it is a TV show for, uh, for young people written by young people. Um, and it is about a young woman of color in Brixton who becomes one of the youngest MPs in Parliament. 
and about her journey to do that. Uh, we, there, she's, I think the whole team have been speaking um, with some of the commissioners uh, that have been interested in the project. And I don't think I can say any more than that, but that's super exciting. That is really exciting. Um, and yeah, like I said, our kids aren't cute. They go and they do real things and they do they get real wins um, and they win real change. And they they are an inspiration, I think, to many people in the local community, which I think is exactly the point of what it means to be an active citizen in today's democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to pick you up a little bit on that point about political education so it's something I've personally been interested in for a long time um and actually in the labor movement in particular one of the big key aspects of the labor movement is how you educate people to be able to make change in their own communities and workplaces I think now we've come to a point and we see the context that we're in very much and it seems like the language of politics and the action of politics is now very far removed from people's everyday experiences. Um, what challenges have you encountered trying to give your young people good education in politics? And do they have an understanding of how politics works before they start? So, you know, one of the things that you know we know to be true, I think the latest statistics that have come out say that about 88% of young people don't know how decisions, don't feel like they have a voice. And I think 60% don't know how decisions are made in this country. And, you know, I think the, the the real question at the heart of it is, like, are they taught this at school? Um, and in what way are they taught this at school? What we find is that oftentimes the language of politics is about party politics. Um, but when I think of politics, I think of justice, which is different. And what does it mean to provide a political education? Um, so much of, if you look at the way that history is taught in the classrooms today, so much of the the history of activism, the history of change is, is diluted. When our, when our young people come in, they think of history and they think of the Tudors. Um, they don't think of... Um, the they don't think of colonialism mm. they don't think of the fight for civil rights in this country um and it's certainly nuances that are that fall through the cracks um when i think of political education that is provided outside in sort of other areas i think a lot of it gets weirdly wrapped up in this sense of uh, respectability so what does it mean to be good at politics well you should learn how to debate and you should mm. learn how to um hold your space to like be a leader um, for us, again, that, that misses the point of where a lot of the heart of political change has come from, from a historical perspective. Uh, and I think, again, at that core of it is how we as a society think about anger. Mm. And I think anger is uh, the idea that we have angry kids feels like really scary and like something that we should fix. Our young people shouldn't be angry. And it's, of course, they're angry. Um, and of course, you know, their whole lives are inherently political. And if we don't address that, we don't tackle that, there are plenty of people in society who are happy to like step into that gap and tackle it for them. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we often struggle with now is, you know, I think activism has become this huge buzzword. Mm. And so what does it mean for us to teach activism to young people? There are a lot of people who are like, oh, we'll give them a, a, a checklist, a checklist for young people, like how to be an activist today. You should write to your MP. You should consider doing a petition. And I think one of the things that I always find amusing is that, you know, it fails to acknowledge that there has been a checklist for activists. The Rules for Radicals has been around for years. That has been at the core of every major social movement for, uh, I think, the last half century or so. 
uh, from you know the Arab Spring to the civil rights, and the, you know, of course it's come out. The civil rights come out from the civil rights movement. But it's been at the heart of every um, social change movement around the world. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to make sure that people are aware it exists. And I think the other piece to remember, and this is the place that we 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 play into as well, is that you, when young there are, if you just hold a one day session, you give you give young people tools. That's going to help mm. the young people who were already the A students in class already had their shit together. But you know, if you want to help the young person who is at the blunt end of all the political decisions that are being made, you need to think about their journey as a young person with their lived experience as well. And what we often find is that there is a, there's a gap in the knowledge. So there are a lot of youth workers that are doing absolutely amazing work that wouldn't know exactly where to point young people if they were interested in making change. Mm. And they don't have that activist training. They don't have the political training necessarily. And on the flip side, there are a lot of um, uh, activists, there are a lot of um, political institutions that don't necessarily know how to work with young people who aren't already ready to jump mm. into the system. And there is that huge gap. And that's where the idea of youth organizing comes in. And that's where we sit. Um, and it is to tackle that gap in political education to those who need it the most. Mm. Um, before I move on, uh, I think it was really interesting something that you said about creating this air of respectability around politics. Now, I work in politics for a little while. I certainly see that myself and I see very much um, young people are often used as tools by either side or any faction. They go and knock on doors, they carry placards, they sign petitions, exactly. What do you think the main blocker is to young people being able to articulate their own voices and what they want rather than what any particular party of action wants of them um do you think it's so I kind of am thinking about my own experience and some of it seems to be that people are afraid of what they might do or what they might say or of offering up that amount of agency or do you think it's something else I know I think it's exactly that I think it comes down to simple power um, to really give young people, to really hold young people up, um, to be at the same, to be at, to, to give them a real voice means thinking of power as a zero sum game. And that if you give them some, you lose some for yourself. Um, it also ties into this weird paternalistic view of young people that they need to be coddled and abruptly at the age of 18, they need to inherit the earth. Um, <laughs> But, you know, young people are inherently politicized. They do not need to be saved. Um, they can save themselves. And if we let them, they will save us. Uh, they, I think the, the fear that the, what we see is often um, youth voice is such a, is another buzzword. But giving young people a voice, consulting with young people, um, like with many other groups, often leads to a miss. Um, sort of a missed under, and a complete misunderstanding of what they actually want, what they actually need, or what they think that is what they think is wrong with the world. And it is, you know, it is very easy to tick that box when there's no real accountability to doing the work better. So there are a lot, it is very easy when we're not giving the right scrutiny to people within politics, people within the charitable sector more generally to say that what does it really mean? What does youth voice really mean? Um, and right now we're in a sort of a weird trap of just ticking the box to the latest buzzword, the latest exciting fad that we're all supposed to be working towards without doing the real work to say, actually, let's stop thinking about politics. Let's, thinking, let's think about this in terms of justice. 
and what does it mean to be just um, to and like to to make sure that we are being just to a group of people that are often completely isolated from the decisions that have a deep impact on their lives. Okay, great. Thank you. So obviously we're here in Brixton and I know the charity's grown a lot in the past few years and you work a lot with students from South London. Uh, it sounds like you've got a big task on your hands. What are your plans for the future? So we have, we're sitting in the uh, only campus for youth organizing in the country. Uh, for us, the next five years are pretty exciting for us. Uh, we are we have taken a hundred or so, hundred or so young people through our social justice leadership fellowship, and we are ready to really. So we are ready for the next tranche of that. We're hoping to grow our fellowship uh, program. We're also hoping to to launch new Spark programs, shorter programs for mm-hmm. younger people to join into the fellowship program, fellowship family. We're also working on our alumni programs. We have our first group of young people who are graduating um, from university. We're hoping to bring some on full time, which will be great. Oh, wow! And we also have launched a train the trainer scheme to, you know, for us, we are built in the ten- on the tenets of community organizing. S- national scale has never been a default for us. We would rather train other people to do some of the work that we know is important and to get other people up to speed in the work of youth organizing. So if you're a teacher or a youth worker or anybody who works on the journey of a young person, you should come check us out and maybe join in. But apart from that, you know, this this campus, this hub is is really important in of itself. We want it to be a hub for justice for the across South London. So if you're an organizer, if you're an activist, if you work in politics, you know, this space is for you. Uh, we are very lucky to not have to pay rent in mm. this building, um, which means, and we have no desire to use your work to make a profit. Mm. So if you want to use the space, it's yours. So just send us an email and we'll work something out. The only, the only requirement is that you also open it to our young people. <laughs> That's it. Brilliant. And I guess the last thing is, if our listeners I know lots of our listeners are involved in politics or have been in the past. If they want to support you, what can they do? There are so many ways. We are always looking for people to help with campaign coaching, to help our young people with their campaigns. Um, whether you, if you've ever done any, um, if you've ever been, if you ever won any campaigns before, if you have some wins under your belt, come along and help guide the next generation. And also, if you have been involved in the party political side, we also we have a lot of budding councillors, a lot of budding MPs, and they could usually really use some advice. So please um, drop us uh, an email or a DM, find us on social. We're at Advocacy Academy. And if you go to our website, www.theadvocacyacademy.com, you can contact us directly from there as well. Amazing. Now it's time to take a short break. Uh, In the meantime, take a second. And if you like this podcast, please send it to a friend. Help us spread the word about progressive politics. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, now I want to talk about a bit of campaigning you're doing yourself. Or actually, I'm doing too, but let's pretend I'm not doing that. Um, it's called Charity So White. Can you tell me what it is? I mean, it sort of explains what it is in the tin. Uh, but how did it come about? Sure. Uh, so Charity So White wants, is fighting to, um, to ensure that the charity sector takes the lead in rooting out racism in the sector. We, uh, were f- we came, we, ha. Ah. So it's like, I always struggle with these founding stories. Yeah. That's, but so off the, uh, so some of, uh, some of the listeners might remember a few weeks ago, um, Citizens Advice, um, a citizen, there was a scandal around Citizens Advice. Uh, their BME training um, was released on Twitter. It, it had a number of very dated dated tropes about the BME community. It treated the community as a broad swath of very, um, it, it like basically the same group. I find <laughs> I'm really even struggling to, to sort of All even people of colour are obsessed with cash and their families <laughs> was essentially what I got out of that. <laughs> um, they really, and I think it was, it was telling, it's like 10 bullet points on a slide to understand the BME community that citizens advice is probably, I would imagine is it, the BME community is one of their largest user groups and 10 bullet points in the slide was all you needed to explain the different ethnic groups that make up that population. It was deeply offensive, but I think, I think maybe this is the way that I view the world, but I was just like, it's just old. Yeah. So I felt like it came from something that came out of like 20, 30 years ago. And you know, it was something that had not only been released in 2017, but had been updated in 2019. Maybe there had been a bag check and they hadn't <laughs> quite realized, but I can't imagine what they updated in that, in that one pager. Since then, um, one, what, we, what happened quite, quite quickly is that Fatima, who had initially identified and released the training, she started receiving a number of individual testimonies from a lot of people within the sector. And a bunch of us started talking and we realized that because so many of us work in isolation, we hadn't quite fully understood the extent of 
racism that was inherent um, and deeply entwined with the way that the sector works. Uh, we wanted to ensure at the time that you know, this, the citizen advice wasn't just another story, wasn't just another scandal that got lost in the mix, that it was something that we um, elevated and we fought for and we made sure we provided some level of accountability to the sector so that they couldn't forget and move on. So we found a charity so white and we launched um, the campaign in alignment with Charity Tuesday. Uh, in many ways to subvert the idea of um, what people use Charity Tuesday for, which is often to pat, I mean, I don't want to be too dismissive here, but it's often used to pat people, pat themselves on the back for the good work that they're doing in the sector. And for us, one of the core issues with racism in the sector comes from this idea of good intentions and that good intentions and good work and the um, just purely simply the intent of it is sufficient mm. and that the impact in many ways is often secondary to that. Uh, so we launched the campaign and we were incredibly overwhelmed and um, really quite, you know, it's very, uh, very overwhelmed by the response. And for us, it was telling for what we had, what we had knew all along, which was that this was widespread. This was institutionalized and this was causing huge um, amounts of talent to leave the sector. Uh, one of the things, two of the things that really stuck to me was that um, most of the people who were sharing stories were people who had since left the sector. Mm. And there were a lot of people who sent us private messages who shared that they didn't feel safe to talk about racism that they had experienced in the sector, because sectors can be small and charity sectors are no different, and they didn't feel safe to do so. And those who did, other people who were able to share it's because they were, like me, working in some sort of social justice or race equality mm. capacity within the sector. And it was inherently part of the work that we do. And there was no fear there. Uh, that was something that was actually was very, very sort of sad to see and sort of sad to, again, um, underline coming out of coming out of that initial launch. Since then, we have been focused on um, what happens next. We want to... Um, we want to release a plan of action and a strategy for the upcoming years. And for us, that starts with um, working, it starts from a from the grassroots up, as it were. It is, it, we want to, we've been, we're going to be launching, um, again, heard it here first, we're going to be launching a series of working groups to allow people from the sector to come together and work with us to identify what those priorities are and how we um, begin to undermine the power structures that are holding the system in place. Perfect. And I think you've explained really well where it comes from and sort of what the response was like. But I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into why it's so important. I feel like uh, for once, and this is quite odd, um, we're an echo chamber of two women <laughs> of colour, which very rarely happens in politics. Um, and so it's very inherently obvious to me and to you why like what racism in the workplace looks like and also why it's harmful to the work that charities and like political organisations and civil society groups do. But do you think you could expand a little bit on why you think it's harmful or the kind of impacts that it has on the work that these organisations try and do? Sure. So I think let's, let's break it down into some different components. Um, racism or any line of oppression in the workplace is something that I think we all agree should be rooted out. And the charity sector is no different to that. 
Um, however, the charity sector does has fallen behind almost every single other sector <laughs> in the UK. Um, a, the big statistic from Akivo um, shows that the 2019 pay inequality survey shows that only 6% of um, CEOs in the charity sector are from BME backgrounds compared to 14% across the UK, across all sectors. And this is also bearing in mind, I think that every time somebody hears a statistic, they're like, oh, let's dig into the data, geograph, like geo geographics, what is it like a heart, what does it represent the population? Now, Kivo from their own findings and their own summary point out that the group that was sampled was predominantly London-based. Mm -hmm. Like, so actually the, it's not good for the rest of the country. If this is from a predominantly London-based sampling, that number should in fact represent the breadth of BME talent in, in the capital, which is higher than 6%. <laughs> um, but let's leave out the diversity in the workplace issue for a second. Um, you know, a number of, we know that austerity is going to hit many BME communities uh, harder uh, than others. Many of them will be um, at will be sort of at the edge of some of the decisions that are being made. If if a, if the if a charity site, if an organisation hasn't addressed the inherent racism or the, the racism that it is not just within its hiring, but within the way that it is looking at the world, within the perspectives that it is using to make decisions, how does it expect? Um, it's the, how does it expect the impact it is going to achieve to be any better? Uh, if we are, if you're working, if you're Citizens Advice Bureau and you're working with, um, the BME community and you have, you've shown a deep failing to understand, um, understand them, understand their drivers, understand what they need and what might be causing that. Are you going to be doing a good job as a charity? Are you fit for purpose anymore? And that is the question. That is why it is so important in the third sector specifically. This is not just about, um, you know, if you can, you can, there are plenty of ways to align it back to the corporate sector, but the, the, the nonprofit sector is, 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 it's supposed to be working with those. Um, it's supposed to be tackling injustice in society today. Racism and other lines of oppression are one of the core one of the core pillars of injustice that we are seeing in the UK today. Why are we falling behind that, and why is there no drivers to to push that for change? Um, on that, do you think because the charity sector is meant to be meant to exist to tackle injustice, that it's become sort of immune to this race criticism or a critique of the way it treats people of color? I know you were talking about intention and how it seems like intention is the only important thing do you think that's part of it or why do you think the charity sector has been so slow to keep up i think there are a couple of things i think good intentions are definitely a big part of it um this is i think too often a lot of the conversations um are about but you know we do a good job um does it matter um who does the good job and it's again it's it's not about who does the good job it's about whether there is good talent that you are not including whether the people who you're trying to support do not want, like are offended or are, um, do not want to use the services that you provide because you're not providing something for their needs. Um, I think the other piece of this is for me, the, the way that the, I think the nonprofit sector is set up, not just in the UK, but I think it is particularly noticeable here where we don't work for our users. Mm -hmm. So more often than not, we are working um, to chase funding 
We are chasing um, buzzwords. We've already talked about youth voice and um, advocacy as a buzzword. Um, there's no interrogation of why we chase the funding, why we do the things that we do. We're always looking to the donors, looking to funders, looking to make those grant applications. Strategy, strategic direction, large-scale social change is set by funders mm. who decide a 10-year vision that the sector aligns to. The power dynamics are completely fucked up, for lack of a better way of explaining it. Um, and it means that the people who are closest to the work at hand, the people who are on the front line of the work, the key workers, the, um, the, the youth workers who see and know firsthand are so far away from the key decision making. Um, and there is no, there is no line that goes from them to the decision makers that are making the decisions and deciding where best to invest the funds. And if it's all focused that way, if it's all, if it's all looking towards the donor and not towards the user, for me, that's inherently going to lead to the what we see today. We, we see, uh, I'm going to say it, Stacey, Julie, and Comic Relief, um, <laughs> and the and um, what it looks like to create, to be a charity that serves its donors first. Amazing. So you talked a bit about what's next for the campaign and the working groups that we're looking to develop. Um, if people want to find out more about the campaign or support the campaign, where can they do that? The best thing to do at the moment is to follow us on Twitter at Charity So White. And you can find out more then. We will be releasing new information every Tuesday on Charity Tuesdays. Brilliant. Look out for Charity Tuesday. Thank you so much, Sava. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for listening. Um, another quick plug. If you want to find out more about the Advocacy Academy, I mean, you all know how to use Google. Just Google it and charity so white and uh, I think watch this space to find out uh, what some amazing young people from South London are going to do to disrupt the system next uh, we'll see you next time till then bye you've been listening to the progressive Britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Mm-hmm.